Welcome to the Queer Spirituality Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossenhill. This podcast is about an idea. It's the radical idea that queerness is a gift and that the divine celebrates it rather than merely accepts it. We'll explore the special role that queer people are meant to play in the coming spiritual awakening. Through the lives and stories of queer people, we'll explore the many ways of approaching the divine and how the sacred reveals itself in everyday actions. Most of all, this is a podcast about love. It's about the love of the universe. It's about love between people. And it's about the love a community can share with one another. Thank you for joining me. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Queer Spirituality Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossenhill, and with me today, I have Fio Gede Parma. Fio Gede Parma is a Balinese-Australian, non-binary, queer, mystic, initiate, witch, and award-winning author. They teach and mentor regularly online and in person and have taught the craft and magic in five continents, as well as in hundreds of classes, courses, and intensives. She is an initiate of Wildwood, Anderson Ferry, and Reclaiming Traditions. Welcome to the show, Fio. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, I always start with this question with all of my guests, and that is, what does queer spirituality mean to you? Mm. Well, uh, I guess for me, it means deeply embedded and integrated sovereignty, I find that the term queer is vague enough and nebulous enough and liminal enough to be kind of radically and continually inclusive and embracing. But I do feel like it also has boundary, like a boundary, but those boundaries are kind of around um, self-possession, sovereignty and integrated expression. And for me, I guess it's spirituality, it's embedded erotic, intimate spirituality that has infinite myriad forms and allows us to resist like cis heteronormativity, patriarchy, all of those forces of domination and control that subjugate life. Um, and so I do feel it's inherently um, political in that way as well. And that might not look the way that people consider political activism or protest or resistance to look, but I do think it's about living one's life um, in some beautiful, brave way. Again, that looks so many ways. Like we could unpack, we could unpack this so many ways. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think it's interesting that you say it's inherently po political because I think that's a theme that has come up in lots of different places about, you know, being queer, just being inherently political and also inherently a um, form of protest or resistance. So I think that's interesting that you brought that up. Um, and I, and I like the idea of sovereignty in it as well, because that's really a, a powerful concept. So I want to zero in on something in your bio, which I'm really interested in, and that is you call yourself a mystic in your bio. And mystic means lots of things to lots of different people. And so what do you consider or what is your your picture of being a mystic? Hmm, yeah, so I, for me, mysticism 
and I would consider witchcraft a kind of practical mysticism, is that is this is this deeply cultivated, um, intimately cultivated, perhaps, uh, way of surrendering or being with the mystery, uh, with the divine, with the spirits, that is maybe not contemplative, but but it can be. It can be contemplative. Um, but it, for me, it's about direct intimacy with the mystery. And so I am there in and of myself as a divine being with divine beings, with the mystery. And I am discovering or unfolding as wisdom and truth and love kind of directly because of that. So it's, it's less about, I guess the mystic is always a bit esoteric. I guess the mystic is always a little bit off the kind of beaten path in a way but then again you could argue that all of these mystical paths have well-worn you know well-worn well-trodden pathways as well but I guess it's more it's less about there being any kind of middle person to direct your religious worship or even your sorcery or even your magic and having this kind of direct intimacy with the mystery um, that is a central part of how one exists in the world. Hmm. That's a really powerful definition. I, I think it's interesting that you say witchcraft is a practical path of mysticism, because I think usually you don't hear mysticism and practical sort of in the same sentence that way. And a lot of people have this idea that to be a mystic, you have to sort of like drop out of everyday mm -hmm. living, sort of be a hermit, go live on a mountain and really spend all of your time in this deep meditation and contemplation. So um, I'd love to hear, like, how do you people who have day jobs and have busy lives, how do they make room for mystical experience? Hmm. Yeah, I think most of the witches that I know and love and who I work with in the world, like, we all have to deal with taxes and we all have to deal with passports and borders and you know, day or night jobs or whatever, paying rent, right? So we live in this world, this, con as my friend Raven says, this constructed world, it's actually not even necessarily the real world. Um, but it is a world that we all are maybe complicit in or consenting on some level to because of survival. Um, and maybe because of convenience, but, but in and through all the cracks of that, it, they're just you know, I'm a non-dualist. If we have to, if we have to go there, like I'm just a non-dualist. So, so I don't perceive there to be any qualitative difference between what people call the sacred and profane. I don't perceive or experience that difference. I also don't experience this idea of dichotomization between what people call the mundane and the magical. Like my provocation to that is always, well, mundane means of this world and this world is magical. So I don't really see a difference there either. Um, and so for me, witchcraft is um, a practice, a, a mysticism uh, for some, and for me, an initiatory path, um, a, a, a clever form of sorcery and spirit work that allows us to be so here and now, but also accessing multiple other realms of consciousness or other states or other worlds, but doing so in this way that is quite cunning and clever and allows us to go to have, you know, one foot here, one foot there, and that classical image of the European hedge rider. Um, and it's also quite ecstatic and shamanistic, like witchcraft is 
I would say, and I know that that these terms, we we talk about them, they're problematic. We, you know, some of them are anthropological terms, but I do still do still do say that witchcraft, I think, is inherently shamanistic, by which I mean it it has within its corpus, um, and obviously there are many ways and traditions, but but generally, at least the witchcraft that I work with, it has it's made of workings techniques processes that allow us to directly intimately touch the divine again back to that mysticism thing and it allows us to purposefully ecstatically and in some cases like authoritatively but in this interestingly surrendered state um weave with fate weave with the weird the ever unfolding becoming nature of things and so you can do that while you're sipping coffee. You can do that in a car. You like once you once you're in the practice of it, once you're in in the cultivation of this, we realize that we can work with breath and the elements of life and the ancestors and the gods or familiar spirits that we are working with. And we can practice these clever tools and anchors and tricks to kind of just be in different states of consciousness and guide ourselves through it kind of artfully. And that is, I think, one of the definitions of magic from a witch's perspective, at least, is that artful negotiation and navigation of fate and the life force. Um, so it's it's actually completely relevant to the here and now, to the human life, village, town, city, field, farm. And it also comes up from the ground. It comes down from the stars. It's in the seasons. It's in the changing of the moon, as we all know. So it's in the guts and the blood and the and the sex and the spit. So the witch's magic is so primordial and so always at our fingertips at any given moment. But it also has immense capacity to open us to wild and primordial states of consciousness where we meet the great ones. And so it's deeply awe-inspiring. And that allows us to access more of what life can be. Wow. That there's so much there that I want to kind of like unpack because you just hit so many great themes there. Um, so the first one I want to kind of hit on is, you know, the idea that the world is an illusion and that there's sort of this consent process that we're all sort of out of convenience kind of living by these rules. Because particularly for queer people, you know, and especially here in the United States where I am, they've sort of been under attack from political conservatives and and things. And there's a lot in the world that doesn't work for many people so how do we how do we stop consenting to it or how do we sort of challenge the status quo because you know i do like that you mentioned queerness as being inherently political and i think that there's definitely a lot that needs to be changed and how do we start to kind of create that change or how do we opt out of the consensus of the way things are like it's it's super difficult, but we we also like students of history, even very recent history, or if we're paying attention to what's going on, there are groups and movements that have been in existence for so long who have been, you know, s performing acts of civil disobedience and um, protest and resistance. This is how you know. This is how most marginalized oppressed groups of people get any form of um, any form of civil rights, and this has been going on for decades and centuries and yeah. so i also turn and look towards first nations and indigenous communities and sometimes there's a great deal of crossover with um queer groups in that regard too and i pay attention a lot to 
the deep kind of way that the, the elders of that community are able to stay bizarrely to me patient in the face of immense horror and systematic violence against their communities and you know their stolen land and um you know that that reality um and yet the complete like almost uh just assured ancestrally assured perhaps that the earth and the land and the sky and the rivers will always remain sovereign unto themselves um and so the thing that the thing that the systems of oppression can't take from us is our dignity. It can't take our um, actual um, sovereignty. Um, it can't take our breath. It can't take the, the vital things of life. It can kind of trick us into thinking that it can. It can, um, you know, capitalism pushes us into like these states of nervous um, uh, incapacitation um, where we are just a kind of running on fuel and we have no room to question we have no room to protest where we're tired we're exhausted we um, are scared uh, and we're and we believe that uh, we can't change anything but the reality is huge things have changed in the world because gr groups of people have you know uh, sat in roads or like tied themselves to trees or sang in front of buildings for days and hours um, and this kind of stuff, of course, I think we, we think it belongs to the 60s and 70s, maybe the 80s, but it still happens and we can still organize in lateral ways, um, in ways that bridge this illusory gap between the so-called spiritual and the so-called mundane and like bring all of our tools, like gathering together to, you know, do healing rituals and sing songs to the ancestors. This is part of it. This is part of it. Um, uh, allowing oneself to learn about their ancestors prior to um, maybe the ch like Christian colonization or war. This is deeply part of how we remember who we are. Um, learning about the cosmos and the galaxy and the microbiology of things and uh, the mycelial network in the soil and through the air and the trees, like all of these learnings can inspire and provoke humans to to remember how deeply connected we are and again that shows us that our mysticism and magic is so immediately practical and so i would say that learning the reason i teach magic and witchcraft publicly is because i do believe that those tools have immense um utility and and uh, proficiency in this world i don't think of magic as something that you go to um, as a last resort, I think I think of it as as an absolute strategy, um, and so there's all kinds of ways that we can look at our magic and ritual. It's, it's, especially from the queer lens, I think the queer lens is deeply enchanted. Um, and as I said yesterday on a class uh, in a successful spellcraft class I was teaching, I, I reminded everyone in that class that you know most humans on this planet are animists. Most humans on this planet. Um, understand that spirits are real. Most humans on this planet pray to their ancestors. So I think a lot of Western people think that that's all um, forgotten and like as if some small group of people are doing that. That's not true. Most yeah. humans. So so I, I like to kind of reorient people to the reality. Um, and then I think that's quite inspiring. And I do think that there's a renaissance right now of magic and spirit work and ancestral work in the West. And so this is coming at a time when we need to feel a sense of um, 
that we belong to each other, that we belong to the land, that we belong to the elements of life so that we can draw from this solidarity and that we can resist and not just resist, but um, conjure forth um, visions of, of, of ways it can be. We learn from the past and we dream into the future. And there are just so many artists and activists and, and elders and descendants and all of these people right now who are doing such amazing art and a provocation. And really, we just need to turn our attention to them and get inspired and just start kind of implementing the small steps that contribute to the big vision. Yeah, definitely. I I love that you brought up that, you know, more people believe in spirits and ancestors than don't. And so, you know, Westerners, we tend to think that we're the norm, that we're the majority, mm-hmm. and we're really not. Mm-hmm. And for so long, like when I started into witchcraft and, and ceremonial magic, you know, 35 years ago, it was very left-brained. It was all about learning certain formulas and doing things a certain way. And it was very regimented and it was kind of dead. Um, and I love that that has started to change, that people are throwing out the book a little bit and kind of experiencing the divine in a very real way instead of like just sort of memorize, repeating memorized phrases and, and doing these rituals by rote. You know, it's a lot more organic and a lot more intuitive and there is a lot more connection. So I definitely think that 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 pendulum is swinging even in the Western world. So hopefully it'll continue coming that way. So um, you have a new book coming out. Um, I'd love to, you know, like tell us a little bit about the, what is it and what's it about? I mean, it's honestly about a lot of what we've said. So um, the, the book is called The Witch Belongs to the World and its subtitle is A Spell of Becoming. And it is, um, I've had, uh, it's my seventh book and it's uh, through Llewellyn and um, it is my first book that I've written alone in over a decade. So I also write books with my colleague and dear friend Jane Meredith. Um, And this book, the last book I had written on my own came out in 2012. So that was Ecstatic Witchcraft. So, So this is, this book is like the distillation of my ethos, thesis of the craft as an ecstatic, sorceress, mystical, transgressive, queer um, phenomenon. Um, You know, I'm actually paradoxically very traditional and very experimental at the same time. And perhaps those things are not different. Perhaps uh, that duality is also a colonized way of thinking because to a lot of indigenous cultures, and I count my father's culture as a part of that broad swathe, like experimenting and innovating is actually a intrinsic part of tradition (laughs) um and so like the way i look at the craft i have um studied four traditions of the craft and um worked and with many witches and spirit workers of various kinds and i was raised in a family of spirit workers um and so i look at like everything i said about like kind of like uh beginning to work to understand and actually feel the reality that everything is divine, that all is sacred, that everything is vibrating with sensual, erotic, intimate, you know, power. Um, This book gives you practical and poetic ways into that. I I firmly, I think it's Starhawk and, you know, in her first book, The Spiral Dance, she said something that stuck with me when I was younger, like witchcraft is not a religion of dogma or text, it's a religion of poetry. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I really firmly believe that that is true. And of poetry doesn't always have to be this stuff that we read off a piece of paper. Poetry is how we sing, how we move through the world, how we dance, how we relate. But there's this rhythmic, um, intimate sensuousness about what is poetic. Um, it links us together. So the book is about all of that. Um, and it leads through 36 kind of steps or knots in a witch's ladder to um, to the the culmination of the book, which is actually an initiation, right? And it's the, I, the way I wrote it is it's there to be adapted. I, I said something like you ha- you may have had formal lineage initiations, you may have had initiations from your um, biological family or adoptive family, you might have had initiations directly from the spirits, which is arguably the most primal way of initiation. But this this form of initiation is here to celebrate yourself as witch. Uh, maybe you just need it right now in your life. Maybe it's medicinal. Maybe it kickstarts your practice again. But um, the way I kind of designed it is not so much that it's like a self-dedication ritual to some kind of path. There's there's always been that stupid argument, I think, <laughs> where people are like, oh, self-initiation, initiation, blah. And I'm like, well, like the old school understanding of witches becoming themselves actually had nothing to do with some high priest or high priestess hitting you with a wand. It had to do (laughs) with spirits of the land, um, fey beings, ancestors, the devil, the queen of Elfane, visiting you as you're walking along a hedgerow and initiating you. Like that's actually the old school. So um, and so the way I kind of created this or summoned this out of folklore was that basically what you're trying to do in this ritual is conjure this old spirits of witchcraft to witness you and to allow them to initiate you. Um, so I just kind of went, I took, I took the third road with that, you know, because I was sick of people having an argument and I gave some context to that in the book as well. So this is kind of my love song to witches. I think in the introduction, I said something like, oh, you know, I've written books about witchcraft, but this is a book about witches. And so I kind of investigate the poetry and folklore and I have chapters on the devil and the fallen angels and um, things that are important to my witchcraft. And that maybe some some witches in maybe the US would be like, oh, what's a, what's that? But for me, it's like very central to the, the forms of witchcraft that I practice and um certainly central to the legend of witches in Europe and, and kind of in many places. Sure. Absolutely. And, you know, and as, as they say, you know, one, one culture's gods or another culture's devil. Right. Cool. So <laughs> there's yeah. definitely that tradition of, of demonizing the gods of, of the culture that came before. And, you know, even if you, follow sort of the biblical route, you know, Lucifer started out as a light bringer and, and the d- angel of dawn. And so, yeah, it's, it, it totally fits. So sounds like a very fascinating book. It's called the witches belong to the world. Oh uh, yeah. That the, right. The, the witch, the witch, belongs the witch, to the witch world. belongs to the world. And that's from Llewellyn worldwide. So we'll definitely make sure to, to note that down below in the podcast description. So viewers can go grab that book. Um, we're coming up on our time and I always like to sort of ask my guests, is there anything we didn't cover or a point that you'd really like listeners to take away from the, from the episode? Hmm. I mean, there's so many things happening in the world and I think, 
Yeah. Look, I think I meet a lot of people who get confused about where to even begin. And, and my, my, you know, if they're talking to me and they're kind of trying to get my perspective, which I, I, I generally try to give, I say, I say the same thing in different ways, but I basically say, look, you know, one day you might find a human teacher or a coven or a, or a group or a tradition that you absolutely resonate with. But until that time where, where it's like a absolute, yes, this is, this is for me the like maybe direct the curiosity and the willingness into you know who are you like like who are your ancestors as much as you can know about them obviously that's very complex some people are adopted out some people are moved around by the state some people have ancestors they don't want to know anything about and the reality still is that we exist because of these red rivers of sometimes deeply fragmented ancestry um with war and empire and colonization, this gets even worse. But until we start to really do like the deep dive into the ancestor work, and this is not just about names and humans and their political and religious affiliations or their, or even their ethnic cultural identities. Like this is about like the rivers that influence us. And so this is also about understanding the histories of colonization and migration. This is, this is the stuff, this is the ancestry of our current ravaged world. That, that 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 we can read about it, that we can listen about it. There's so many smart people out there who've created resources for us to listen to and read and engage. Some of those resources are in the form of ritual, in the form of prayer, in the form of protest, in the form of film, in the form of art, in the form of um, secret groups. So, so like open yourself to those synchronicities consider how you got to be where you are and whatever country you're in, like all of those rivers and thorns of ancestry. I think that's so important. Like that needs to be at the very beginning, but with that needs to also be like a measured pace of breath so that you or I, or we don't become overwhelmed and incapacitated. And so learning breath work, learning how to ground properly, not skipping over that, weaving that into the days and nights of our lives. Um, learning about the different parts of self or, you know, in my traditions, we call that the triple soul, like learning, learning about how you're comprised as a, as a being, um, aligning your souls, like forming some form of personal practice, whether it's gardening or aligning your souls in the shower or tending towards altars and shrines of ancestors or reading news articles in the morning really mindfully and then kind of contemplating them with your breath. You know, whatever it is, walking your dog and scanning the horizon, like mindfully moving through life and remembering that we're not really going anywhere. <laughs> like we're, we're here and now, uh, maybe the idea that we're going anywhere, we can release that. We can release that idea. Like it's great to have ambition. It's great to have desires. It's great to have uh, needs. I think that's great. It's also complicated. But if we can just be here and now and reflect on where we've come from and how we got here and who we are, that's the beginning of a great magical life. It's all there. We don't have to, we don't have to um, go anywhere. Like it's just, I think about it's, it's uncovering what is true and real. And I mean, it says, you know, for, for some, some people listening to this might be aware of the charge of the goddess, um, which is from Dorian Valiente and from a variety of sources, which you can look up. But at the very end of the charge of the goddess, it says, 
And if that which you seek for, you do not find within yourself, you will never find it without. For behold, I have been with you from the beginning, and I am that which is attained at the end of desire. So I take that to heart. I, like, I feel like that is one of the most profound pieces of ritual poetry that I've ever come across. And, um, and it's really you know, moving because I'm like, well, it's all here. I don't have to do anything. I'm not sinful. I'm not broken. I'm not, um, I'm, I'm whole and complete unto myself. I am sacred. I am divine and it's all here. So I might as well dive deep into this well, this well of me, this well of ancestry, this well of land, this complex web of history and kind of, um, be with that, be with the reality of that. And that is deeply magical. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and the ancestor thing is so important, um, you know, from even a queer perspective, knowing our history, and all of those people who came before us, who kind of paved the road that many of us are walking on, and even made it possible for, for those of us who are out to be out, um, kind of considering them as our queer ancestors. And that's something that I've talked about before. And we had Ben Stimson on earlier um, talking about ancestor veneration. So it's such a powerful subject to really get into that history and understand what, what came before, what enabled me to be who I am today and sort of connecting to that. And that's something that I'm doing at a retreat over Samhain, the Sacred Ken Samhain, where we're going to be honoring the, the queer ancestors through through ritual and drumming and singing and just, you know, really a lot of these magical everyday things that, like you talked about. So yeah, I think that's really, really powerful. Um, so how do people get in touch with you or follow you or keep up with, with what you're doing, learning about your classes and all of that? Yeah, I have one of those Linktree things and, and there's a lot on that. So maybe, yeah, so I think that's just linktree.com slash Palmer. And then okay. there's like, you know, there's so there's like YouTube and Instagram and books and yeah. And then I do have a website, fiogadepalma.com, which also has like events and free videos and um, uh, essays and blogs and stuff as well. Okay, great. We'll, we'll link those down below in the description. And so anyone who wants to go find your events and things can either check out the link tree or your website or both and <laughs> connect with you. So, um, well, it's been really great talking about you or talking with you and um, looking forward to reading the book and catching up with your your 36 step initiation it sounds really interesting yeah. and and pretty unique honestly like i don't think that there's any other book really doing that kind of making it that accessible yeah i i, I i'm trying to put it all out there in a respectful but um intense manner <laughs> yeah yeah definitely well um uh, looking forward to reading it and um seeing how how that how that works out um yeah, so thank you so much for for taking the time to be with me and and talking about mysticism in your book and ancestors and all of all of the things that we've talked about because we you know we've really covered a lot of ground here and uh, a lot of deep sort of stuff. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah.
Thank you for listening. This has been the Career Spirituality Podcast with Julian Crossan Hill. If you enjoyed this show, please consider leaving a rating on whatever site you get your podcasts at. Rating the show allows other people to discover it and be exposed to these ideas around queer spirituality. You can also find my blog and past episodes of this podcast at www.queerspirituality.net. That's www.queerspirituality.net. You can also there find links to the Queer Spirituality Facebook group, my various social channels where you can get involved in the discussion or send me your feedback or questions or things you'd like to hear on the show. Thank you again for listening and for your support. Bright blessings.